Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, and that is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and on behalf of my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, I'd like to welcome you to an especially marvelous episode of the show, largely because Aaron and I are recording this particular episode after the teaser trailer for Captain Marvel finally dropped. To start things off with... You have seen this trailer, is that correct, Aaron? And I have, and I feel like I'm an old curmudgeon nowadays because Marvel has spoiled me with so much joy and goodness over the years that this trailer just, it was lacking the pizzazz of the Marvel Universe. And I know it's just a teaser and the first glimpse and they're not going to show, you know, big, huge things, but I, I'm going to see Captain Marvel based on all of the goodwill that they have given me quality movies time after time after time, and so I'm going to go see it, but the the trailer did not move my needle in either direction, good nor bad. It was like, yeah, I'm still going to see it. Doesn't make me more excited. Doesn't make me sad. Was there anything that, I mean, right from the first image of the trailer, I mean, Carol Danvers falling out of the sky and, and landing in a blockbuster, you know? I mean, it's a good way of, of putting a time and a place instantly. That's it, exactly. And so, yeah, I think that was good with placement, but the, the only shot that made me smile was when mm -hmm. she punched an, a little old lady on the bus right in the face. And I went, oh, scroll action, this is going to be good. There we go. That was the one second and a half image right i got really excited for that moment i have to say that there's an image late in this trailer where basically it shows carol at different ages and at different times in her life all having been knocked down and standing up again sort of gathering her power to confront whoever knocked her down i really liked how that cut together i, I really liked how that suggests what this film was going to be about sure. this whet my appetite this is a film i want to see it also made me happy to see a young Nick Fury with two eyes. And, and right. likewise, as a balding guy, it made me happy to see Coulson with some more hair. You know, I was so devastated that he didn't have a mullet. I was just hoping, I don't know why, but I just thought that would have been the coolest image if he was some, like, Spicoli dude off the beach that just got wrangled mm -hmm. into an intergalactic caper and fell into S.H.I.E.L.D. butt backwards, but uh, apparently he looks kind of clean cut like he's got his act together as a younger Coulson. So I don't think he's going to stray too far from his character path that we already know today. Yeah, and, and I, I'm sure there are certain people at Marvel Studios who, if they, they hear your suggestion there, it's like, oh man, that was an avenue we should have explored. But but it is what it is. Yeah, that, absolutely. Know, that they, they have decided where they're going with this one. And... In talking with folks at Disney, they're pleased with the reaction that the teaser trailer has gotten so far. I mean, it got 109 million views in the first 24 hours it was available online. If you were to put this trailer out before Iron Man, how many mm -hmm. views do you think Captain Marvel would have gotten? If this were the first movie of the MCU, half, well, a quarter, double? Uh, I mean, Which direction? I think it would be a lot less. When they announced Iron Man, and it was Robert Downey Jr. who had been selected, remember, we're not thinking of Robert Downey Jr. today. You and I are thinking of Robert Downey Jr., say, 11 years ago, who he had some trouble. So I always look for context. And it face it, Captain Marvel, like it or not, is very, very much a movie of this moment, mm -hmm. you know, between the Time's Up and, and Me Too, and it's coming to the the marketplace at a very interesting time, you know, whether they timed it this way or not. 
10 years ago? All I think is that 109 million views on that trailer is a sign mm-hmm. of the goodwill that Marvel has earned for putting out quality films. Because I know a lot of people that are not diehard fans like I am. I got a friend that I've known for decades, and he's never like mm-hmm. read a comic book in his life. But he has seen all of the Marvel movies, and now we can have like a geek conversation on that level that I always wished we could, and now we can. And and so now he's like calling me decades later, going, "Dude, I get it. I understand why you're a fan of this stuff. That was some pretty cool stuff in that movie." And so the general public, I think, is starting to realize that the name Marvel means a good time at the movies. This is true, but but to to circle back to your point, the people at Disney and Marvel are not taking any chances, especially with this character. Take, for example, the Marvel Rising Secret Warrior movie that will be debuting on Disney Channel and Disney XD uh, this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. Given uh, Captain Marvel's positioning in this film, for a certain market segment, this is an introduction to that character, right. placing her in the world, putting her in front of that audience to, to give them some idea of her powers, her significance. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm watching it for Squirrel Girl, but you know that I was dropped as a child. No, Squirrel Girl is cool, man. There, there's no having to make up excuses for loving Squirrel Girl. She's awesome. She is awesome. But again, you know, the whole notion is that Disney and you know, the folks at Marvel Studios, every one of these movies as they come to the marketplace, behind the scenes... There is planning that rivals D-Day. Mm-hmm. The fact that the teaser trailer for Captain Marvel, you know, remember, this is a movie that doesn't hit theaters till, what, March 8th, March 9th of 2019? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I love how even, even the poster has something that can spark conversation online. Did, did you catch the, the half a cat in that thing? No. In the bottom left-hand corner of the poster you can see the back end of a cat and the curl of the tail and for those of you who know the captain marvel comic you know it's just sort of like oh my god is chewy gonna be in this movie chewy is carol danvers cat that is not in fact a cat it is a flurkin which is some sort of alien species this is something i really really hope they explore in avengers 4 evidently Rocket from Guardians uh-huh. has had a couple of run-ins with Chewie over time. And Were they romantic? Or are uh, they scrap fights? No, no, actually, you know, that, that, it's like, this thing is dangerous. Or more to the point, oh, okay. This is really valuable. We could sell this uh, on the Black Market. Right, yeah. And so, so I'm hoping that, again, as we go forward to Avengers 4, that this is something that they carry over that obviously Captain Marvel plays a huge role in the storyline of that film and it would be nice if Chewie got to come along. I totally um, never saw that cattail in the poster. Like, I, I mean, I looked at it and I went, yeah, it's a nice poster and mm-hmm. moved on with life without giving it much thought after that. And even looking at it now, I, it's still hard to see unless I zoom in on the image and then scroll over to actually look and, and you see the little question mark of a curled cattail as it's walking away. And yeah, I'm just kind of amazed that I never saw that. Awesome. Well, see, but this is the age we live in now. Even a poster has to have an Easter egg. Right. Okay, now speaking of Avengers 4, mm-hmm. there's been some movement on the title of this film. Now, I know we, we spoke previously about you know there was a discussion at one time about avengers gauntlet Mm -hmm. and avengers Mm endgame 
in talking with folks at the studio. I'm almost embarrassed because this one is kind of like, well, geez, it's been in front of us the whole time because uh, it's Avengers 4. So what's a relatively easy word to pull out of Avengers 4? It's, it's Avengers Forever. I guess they've mocked up a poster. They're doing some focus grouping. Given that the storyline for this involves time travel and crossing great expanses of, of space and time in order to bring down Thanos, everybody believes that this is actually the one that we should be going with. And what's kind of interesting is they just tweeted out the Russo brothers from the where they're doing the reshoots right mm-hmm. now. They tweeted out a, a shot of the, the stage where you can see four A's in, you know, or A-shaped things, whether it's ladders or easels or, or that sort of thing within the space. And it's like, we're working on Avengers 4. Maybe it's called Avengers Forever. The question now is, okay, so when do we see this Avengers 4 teaser trailer? Mm-hmm. We're entering that window of time where the big Disney is walking out its big holiday pictures. I think the first of this pile is the Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Uh, behind that is Ralph Breaks the Internet, Record Ralph 2, and of course, Mary Poppins Returns. And there's a kind of an interesting rumor making the rounds now about what Disney may do. Uh, to be honest, Aaron, some of this comes on the heels of A Wrinkle in Time underperforming mm. back in February when it was released to theaters. Yeah, that's probably a Black Panther or a scheduling issue more than a quality of film issue. Yeah, so the thinking now, and evidently Disney hasn't fully committed to this. This would be a decision that would have to be made sometime in October and announced. Mm -hmm. But what they're exploring is the idea of dropping the Avengers 4 teaser trailer in front of Nutcracker in the Four Realms, and that it wouldn't be available to be shown online Till basically after the first weekend of the film. Oh, well. So the, the notion is if you wanted to see this thing early, you'd have to buy a ticket to no. The Nutcracker and the Four Rooms. No, I refuse to be dragged to the Nutcracker movie based on a trailer. I can't think of a movie ever in my life, including the very first Spider-Man in 2002, where if the trailer would have been released in a, a movie theater only and then I had to wait, you know, three or four weeks online, I would have waited three or four weeks online if the movie it was attached to was something I had no interest in seeing. There's actually a historical precedent for this. If you think back to November of 1998, when the teaser trailer for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, that's what Lucasfilm actually did. They arranged to have, there were three movies that had already been out in theaters for a little bit at that time. There was The Waterboy, which... Uh, was released through Disney's Touchstone division. There was The Siege, which was a 20th Century Fox film, and then Meet Joe Black through Universal. And every one of these movies, they went, actually physically went in and in front of each print of this film that was being showed around the country, they cut in the trailer from Phantom Menace. And the interesting thing is that you can go back and read the contemporary accounts at that time. And Variety tells the story of, you know, they sent a reporter into the theaters to a screening of the siege. And, you know, here's an audience of 500 people. 
and the Phantom Menace trailer unspools, and as soon as it's over, two-thirds of the audience gets up and walks out of the theater. Yeah. I mean, again, anecdotally, a couple hundred people that had only gone to the theater, bought a ticket, and sat down and watched that movie. And I was one of those people that waited. I, I remember being on a morning show when the trailer came out online that morning, and we had dial-up, and I had to sit there mm-hmm. and wait for like an hour and a half for it to mm-hmm. buffer before I could play it, and then the whole morning show gathered around, and we watched the trailer, and then we got to talk about it on the air. But yeah, none of us would ever have gone to go buy the ticket because we just didn't care. I mean, it was Star Wars, and I mean, I cared as a Star Wars fan, but mm-hmm. like I said, I wasn't going to spend eight bucks, uh, especially on on a radio budget, which is basically ramen noodles. Is you know, you trade for currency. So I, I just you know, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have yeah. thirty two crates of ramen noodles to trade for a movie ticket that week. Mm-hmm. So I was okay with waiting for that to come out online. But um, yeah, I know, I know it can give a boost by putting a certain trailer in front of a movie, but I think we're so overwhelmed by advertising. That's why I'm kind of a really big fan of what Deadpool has done with their advertising. They didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. always have to show clips from the movie. They just had Deadpool riffing on something crazy, and and you totally didn't expect that to be in the movie, but it gave you a great sense of the tone of the film without spoiling any of the film. I think you're bringing up a valid point. If you think back to Phantom Menace, Lucasfilm very consciously made a decision to spread the the love spread the wealth so to yeah. speak i mean it it made sure that that you know that trailer was in front of a fox film in front of a universal in front of a disney so you know the chances are if you were an exhibitor around the country you got a bite of this apple people came to your theater and bought tickets yeah. if disney does follow through on this idea and again i want to stress here this is a rumor the fact that it only goes in front of the nutcracker in the four realms that could potentially bite Disney in the butt because, you know, perhaps there will be theaters around the country. I mean, this will be where a half the audience gets up and, and walks out after the trailer shows. Is, are you thinking that's what's going to happen to them? Well, <laughs> that also doesn't necessarily help, you know, spread good buzz about your movie. No, it wouldn't. Do you remember what Disney did with Tron Legacy back in 2010? They did a couple events where they showed like 10 or 15 minutes of it in IMAX. You oh, know, no. that, I mean, mind you, you had to go ahead of time you sure. know sign up for the tickets ahead of time and you you know you you went at a time when the theater wasn't necessarily in use and you got a poster on the mm-hmm. way out and but it, it helped build buzz for the film if it were me i'd go in that direction rather than yeah. the nutcracker does the audience cross over correctly i mean yeah. i grew up with all of the comics and the nutcracker's always been in the background as christmas music And I know I've seen the trailer and I know the take that they're going with this and absolutely Mm -hmm. none of it is of interest to me at this stage in my life. If I had kids, you know, and they were of an appropriate age, then it might be, oh yeah, let's go take the family, but that's not my situation. Mm -hmm. So it's not on my radar. Again, sort of reconsidering the IMAX idea here. I mean, I wonder what Disney's relationship with IMAX is right now. I, I understand that IMAX, the company stock took a hit after that whole Inhumans thing that they did. Well, Inhumans was garbage, so, I mean, they deserve that. Well, IMAX doesn't deserve it. Marvel should have taken a hit for that. Anybody with eyeballs at the studio should have put a stop to that, either at IMAX or Disney. They could have, anybody in the room could have raised their hand and went, I'm sorry, this is garbage. Please don't do this. Mm -hmm. But conversely, though, I don't know what the stateside IMAX relationship with Disney's, on the other hand, in the UK, I don't know if you saw 
what they're doing. In fact, just starting the tail end of this month, they're going to be showing all 20 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's uh, movies in the UK in, in IMAX. Mm. And, and in case some of these films have never, ever been shown in IMAX uh, over uh, in the UK. Are so. they doing it marathon style or are they doing it chronological or are they just doing a la carte where they got a bunch of screens and you can pick which movie you see on which day or what? Well, you see it now it's at 10 different cinemas. Okay. And uh, the, the event runs from the 28th of September through October 2nd. And my understanding is it, it is in the chronological. Right. They're, they're, uh, they're going all the way from Iron Man all the way through Ant-Man and the Wasp. Okay, now, second question. Are they going chronological in the order that they came out or chronological in the order that happened? Because that would place Captain America before Iron Man. Now, you see, I don't have an answer to that question, but I will do my research and get back to you. With By the way, for, for the audience, if you've ever wanted to try and do video editing or wanted to learn about it, one of the funnest <laughs> things you can do is put the Marvel Cinematic Universe in chronological order. It'll take you about a year to do it, but you've realized little elements are out of place by a movie. And and so it's especially with the special, fe- uh, yeah, the special features where they used to do... The one shots. You remember the one shots on the Blu-rays? Yeah, I miss those. I, I miss the one. Yeah, shots. and and plugging those in to the movies as an actual mm-hmm. scene is actually a lot of fun to do to kind of practice editing and whatnot. But yeah, so if you want to drive yourself mad to learn video editing, put the Marvel Universe in chronological order. It's a hoot. Well, I for me, what I I think what I'd really enjoy about being able to see these movies again in IMAX, especially Infinity War. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you heard about this. This theory about Loki? Yeah, and it's garbage. Go ahead and you, you explain the theory, and then I'll debunk it after you get done. Tell you what, let's pause for a quick break here, and then we'll get to the debunking. Hang in there, folks. We'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, so to sort of lay this out, the theory that's making the rounds on the web right now is that if you watch Infinity Wars... The sequence where Loki attempts to stab Thanos. He's using his left hand. Loki has been shown in all the previous films and to be right-handed. So the fact that he uses his left hand, the only other time he's used his left hand was when he faked his own death in Thor The Dark World. So the theory is given that Thanos chokes out Loki in the opening moments of Infinity War. It's like, he's not dead because he's faked it yet again. Right. But you believe this is garbage, eh? The version I heard is altered just slightly because mm-hmm. the the capper at the end was that Heimdall had transferred not Bruce Banner or the Hulk to Earth, but Loki mm-hmm. impersonating Hulk or, or mm-hmm. Banner, which would explain why Banner couldn't change into the Hulk because it was actually Loki the whole time. And that was the the capstone on top of that that I was just, like, almost offended by because Loki is killed, you know, before the transfer happens and you see Mm -hmm. him dead. And then he's shown still dead afterwards. And Banner is not able to float in space and survive. So when the ship is destroyed, you know, if Banner were still there, he would be dead. Mm -hmm. The whole left-handed thing is, I think, just weak sauce like someone looking for something to write a story that day because they had to write a story that day well somebody who 
you know, unless again, it's one of know, your friends, he's... then I'm sure it's actually very no, no, close no, no, to no, true. No, 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 You know, I, I wish I could say that Kevin Smith was one of my friends. I mean, I'm a, a friend of friends of Kevin Smith, but evidently somebody ran this by Kevin, and he's like, "Ooh, that sounds like that might be something." No, no, they're they're grasping at straws. I love Kevin Smith, but I'll I'll gladly debate mm-hmm. him on that topic. Get him on the phone right now. Let's have it out. <laughs> oh, well, at that, that, well, uh, but, but now here's the other thing. The story just broke last week about how Disney Play, which is the streaming service that Disney's getting started uh, next year, mm-hmm. among the projects that the, the folks at Marvel Television are getting ready for that are two standalone shows that will be six to eight episodes long. One will be built around Loki. Mm-hmm. And the other will be built around the Scarlet Witch. And in both of these cases, you got to remember that Disney is trying to make sure that people understand that these are high-quality productions that they're doing at, at Disney Play, mm-hmm. that you want to subscribe to this this streaming service. So Tom Hiddleston is, is supposed to be coming back to play Loki. Mm-hmm. And I want to say Elizabeth Olsen is coming back to play the Scarlet yep. Witch. So that sounds good. I'm I'm down with all that. Okay, that begs the question that are we going to get to see Loki before he gets choked up by Thanos or you know, is the fact that he has in fact dodge a bullet and he that he will be coming back. I think it would make sense that they that Disney would want to have some finality to some characters. Their roster is absolutely huge right now. You can't have another Infinity Wars type event because there's just too many mm-hmm. damn people in it. You, you got to thin the herd cinematic-wise, but Loki's, what, a couple thousand years old? So I'm sure mm-hmm. that they could give him plenty of adventures pre his death just to keep the fact that Disney knows that people love Loki as a bad guy. He's a great bad guy, and Tom Hiddleston is fantastic mm-hmm. playing Loki. So they don't want to just, you know, chop off his head. They, they want to keep the chicken around and make some more eggs. So it's like, yeah, yeah we can kill yeah. him off on screen, but we can go back and revisit the same thing with Elizabeth Olsen, whether she's alive or dead in the cinematic universe. Nothing is written in stone that says it has to take place after the events that we've already seen. It could be a prequel. It could be a chance to bring back her brother, Quicksilver. All true, all true. And one of the things that I liked about Infinity Wars mm-hmm. was that right from the get-go, you established how ridiculously high the stakes were when you killed Loki. And more to the point, when Thanos battled the Hulk and easily subdued mm-hmm. him. It was just one of those things where it's like, it's like holy yeah, crap. Yeah, stakes you know, have I mean, never this been is... the side before. When the Hulk is getting his butt handed to him, you know, you're going to have a bad day. That's it, exactly. <laughs> so I want to have my cake and eat it sure, too here. I, sure. mean, I, I want the weight of that death to still be there. But at the same time, I so enjoy Tom Hiddleston as Loki, I want him back. So it's, this sounds like that's that solution is you know you get to have that finality, you get to have a series, and it just happens to be a prequel, the misadventures of yeah. Loki. Sounds like a good time. And while we're making suggestions that I hope that somebody at Marvel Television listens to, it's like, can we bring back Agent Carter? All right, I mean, if we're going to do these six to eight episode long things, I mean, Haley Atwell was so much fun to watch as that character, and. Given the type of episodes they were writing, the 10, 12, or... Would they have a new take, a new slant, a way to give it a breath of fresh air? I mean, not that it was Mm -hmm. ever bad. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very, very good Mm -hmm. show as well, but it's been on break forever now. 
I don't think you can just pick up the story where you left off several years later. I think there'd have to be some sort of new entry point. Not necessarily a clean slate, like washing away what happened mm-hmm. in the past, but just time has moved yeah. on. Here we are several years later, and these are some new adventures of Agent Carter. Well, I, it, let's remember, though, that we do have the folks at, at Lucasfilm who are picking up Clone Wars for where it left off at Cartoon That's Network. That's true. And you know, circling back and finishing the fourth season of the show. That's true. Stranger things are happening. The rules are going to be different with when it comes to Disney Play. And if what's going on with the ESPN Plus streaming service, which launched in April, I don't know if you saw the Wall Street Journal had an article about this uh, just last week. They've managed to get more than a million people to sign up for this mm-hmm. thing. Now, according to the article I'm looking at here, the price point for the ESPN streaming service is going to be $4.99 a month. Disney's been fairly close to the best about what Disney Play, you know, what the monthly fee for that's going to be. But when you think about CBS All Access, you can get it for $9.99 a month, but that's the commercial three version. If you're willing to put up a commercials, you can do the $4.99. Now, I've just noticed on the Apple TV that the DC Universe has basically a smorgasbord app now. And it's like seven ninety nine a month. And my wife is a huge fan of Batman. And I showed it to her and I'm like, look, it has all the Batman. Like the cartoon, the you know, Adam West series, like whatever you want. It's all there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I offered it to her. Do you, do you want to subscribe to it? And at the moment, because she's not a big binger. And she works in TV, so really it's like when she gets home, she really doesn't want to watch a lot of TV. Um, so anyway, we looked at it, and it was tempting. I mean, what I'm going to end up doing is I'll probably get a month of it and feast mm-hmm. like a pig and then mm-hmm. let it lapse for several months. And then, you know, when I get a, a specific DC itch to scratch, I'll, you know, go buy another month for 8 bucks and and gorge myself again. But I do like the idea of a a full Marvel buffet as well. I would probably drop Netflix and trade it over for a Marvel channel. And I would just let it stream all day. don't be too quick to drop Netflix, because they've just... Have you seen the Daredevil trailer for for season three? I have, and it it seems sparse on details, which was kind of expected. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's wearing all black, like he was in season one, is interesting, considering he's got a flashy new costume. Uh, so I don't know what their plan is with season three. I heard Vincent D'Onofrio's back and I love him as the Kingpin. He is Mm -hmm. just hands down one of the greatest things about season one. I just, every moment he's on screen, I, I am captivated by his performance. I'll be thrilled to get him back in any capacity. I have always liked the Daredevil series thus far. So I'm expecting I will enjoy season three. I just have no idea where they're going to go with it. Okay. Before we continue here, I feel like given that we've talked at length in earlier episodes about the James Gunn situation, we should make a point of bringing up the interview that Bob Iger just did with The Hollywood Reporter. And they flat out asked him about uh, his decisions in regarding to, to Mr. Gunn. And Iger was, I want to say diplomatic, but he definitely compartmentalized it. They made the comparison between uh, the gentleman at the Hollywood Reporter, uh, you know, the Roseanne situation versus the James Gunn situation. And he said, look, you know, the Roseanne decision was completely unanimous. We discussed how it would be communicated. And because there were a number of entities uh, involved, that that was a unanimous decision. 
the James Gunn decision was brought to me as a unanimous decision by a variety of executives at the studio, and I supported it. Kind of tepid language, especially in comparison to, to Roseanne, and the Hollywood Reporter had said, well, look, there was backlash. Do you still support that decision? And I haven't second-guessed Marvel's decision. I'm beginning to think, even if Mr. Horn does leave in January, I think the, the ship has sailed on James, which, which is unfortunate. There are a lot of talented directors. Like you mm-hmm. stated in the previous episodes, they've had plenty of stuff that was Guardians of the Galaxy-esque that was within Infinity War that was directed by the Russo brothers, not James Gunn. So it's not you know inconceivable that another person can direct something in someone else's style. I mean, George mm-hmm. Lucas did not direct all of the Star Wars movies. No, he didn't. So mm-hmm. people can take a blueprint and they can build a house. <laughs> you know, that's mm-hmm. that's what it is. You take the parts, you put them together, and uh, if if you follow the blueprint correctly, you got it. Okay. Speaking of the interview with the Hollywood Reporter and knowing how you feel about what Fox has done with the X-Men films and that sort of thing, I thought you might be intrigued by this question and answer back and forth okay. here that... that the Hollywood Reporter asks, how is Marvel going to absorb Fox's X-Men franchise? Is Kevin Feige going to oversee everything? And Iger's response is, I think it only makes sense. I want to be careful here because of what's communicated to the Fox folks, but I think they know. It only makes sense for Marvel to be supervised by one entity. There shouldn't be two Marvels. Now, think about this as the follow-up, though. So Deadpool could become an Avenger? And Iger laughs and says, Kevin's got a lot of ideas. I'm not suggesting that's one of them, but who knows? Yeah, I, I doubt that would ever happen. Well, here's the thing. There's a gun-jumping rule in place for these types of big deals where they can't start working on, on anything X-Men or Fantastic Four at all today. They have mm-hmm. to wait until it's approved by the European Union and the other, you know, whomever else has their say on this deal. And when it's finally through in 2019, then they can go ahead and start making their plans. But that prevents Mm -hmm. two companies that are currently merging or possibly merging from communicating with each other future plans because if the deal doesn't go through, it could ruin both businesses or, you know, whatever. So they'll talk about it diplomatically in an interview. Oh, that's a great idea. We never thought of that. But really, I'm expecting a very slow turnaround just because the deal's going through and we're expecting mm-hmm. a closure in 2019. They're going to fast track something to get it going, but it's going to be 2020, 2021, I think, before any of that's ever going to hit a theater. And with their slate as full as it is currently with stuff that they mm-hmm. would like to do and heroes that they've got coming out, I think it could be pushed to 2023 or 24. It's probably a valid point. And face it, when we talk about Fox and the Disney acquisition, it's not just Fox the films, it's Fox television. And in fact, just tonight, season two of The Gifted is getting underway. And it's been, uh, EW just did a very interesting interview with Matt Nix, who's the, the showrunner for The Gifted. And he was talking about how when the show began, in kind of a contrast to what do you remember how when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started, you know, there was some this talk about how the, the films will bleed into the TV show. And, mm-hmm. you know, over time, that just proved too difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas with The Gifted, from Nix's interview with EW, he said, 
initially we had a we've got to stay away from the movies kind of thing going on you know what's happened over time is that there's stuff that's begun to bleed into the TV show. I mean, take, for example, there's the, the character that Emma D- Dumont plays in the show, Polaris, mm-hmm. and she's wearing a medallion that looks very much like the one that Magneto has always worn in the movies. And it's sort of like, okay, so what's the deal with that? And he says, look, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at that medallion and go, oh, that looks awfully familiar. Uh, but we don't want to confuse the fans with the idea that someone's going to show up. They kind of do that with uh, uh, Legion, where they've referenced Charles Xavier pretty directly mm-hmm. in the show without having him appear on screen. You know, I don't, I don't see the problem with, with them mentioning Magneto in any sort of reference. And I'm not expecting well, Ian McKellen to jump on screen anytime soon to make an appearance. It's, it's so funny you say that when you talk about the X-Men movies and you talk about Charles Xavier. Well, well which Charles Xavier? Right, yeah. Patrick Stewart or the other fellow? And if, like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, that, that's what Nick says. If we start implying to fans that Magneto is going to show up, well, well, which Magneto? Mm-hmm. How old is he? So uh, he says, look, I love the movies enough that I don't want to knock off Wolverine on my show. That's important to me. For me, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Oh, and, and speaking of playing, have you finally been able yeah. to play the the, the new uh, Spider-Man game? I, I haven't. No, I just haven't had time with uh, a busy workload. Sometimes you you gotta cut fish and <laughs> look. I understand you're a busy guy and you would have to carve out the time to do this. But wanted to sort of give folks a follow up on on how well that game that PS4 game has done so far. First three days after its launch, they sold 3.3 million copies. Yeah. Another thing, given the way we started off today's show by referencing Iron Man, I thought you'd be intrigued to hear that Bill Russman, the, the Marvel game, uh, get, he's the executive director of Marvel Games, okay. and he was talking about how uh, the folks there in Insomniac, the thing about the Spider-Man game is it's supposed to be the equivalent of Iron Man. It's supposed to be the thing that reboots all of our concept about how a Marvel video game could be oh, and sort of boy. plowing the road for, you know, a lot of very ambitious games, you know, out ahead of this. Well, as long as they understand the character that they're working with, because mm-hmm. Spider-Man, especially in the video games and Spider-Man two on the PS three was one of my favorite video games of all time. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that you could traverse all of New York City in a matter of like three or four minutes of really excellent web slinging at super high speed. And you'd have this pendulum effect where, you know, when you got to the top of your arc and you would release and you'd fly through the air and then you would spin another web and then do another pendulum swing and launch yourself through the air. That was so addictive. For me, it was almost like therapy. I'd just come home and swing through New York. I wouldn't even help civilians. I was just like, I'm I'm swinging through New York. Screw you. I'm having fun being Spider-Man. And uh, it was, yeah, it was a really great game. But it was how you traversed the city. It had random events that would pop up. And then if you were to try and translate that to a Wolverine game, he's on the ground. He has to run. And you don't want to run across Mm -hmm. New York City. So you have to figure out a way to make Wolverine work that is not the same way that Spider-Man works. They took what came before him, they built on it, they made it better, and that's great. But there have been a lot of garbage Hulk games out there in the past. There, you know, I can't remember a good Wolverine game. Uh, X-Men, I think Legends was the name of the video game on the PlayStation, was kind of fun. It was like a four-person brawler 
so you could play with your friends, but it was a top-down kind of thing, and it wasn't very immersive. You know, it was very arcade-like. So if that's your thing, you could have a really good time with that. But yeah, there have been very few good superhero games, and just because they had a hit, it doesn't mean they know the recipe to all of the souffles in the world now. I get that. I get that, though. It's funny you mentioned about so enjoying penduluming your way through New York City because that is supposedly the Spider-Man attraction that's being built at Disney's California Adventure. A Bugs Land closed there at that in Anaheim on September 4th, but I thought you'd be tickled to find out they've they put up the construction fences around the side as they're pulling down all the oversized clovers and, and that sort of thing, but guess what spray-painted on the outside of, of this A fence? A giant spider logo? No, it's, it's the work is being done by Stark Enterprises. Mm. All right, that's, that's cool. I agree, I agree. I, I love that... Even before the attraction gets there, the storytelling has already started. So That's very cool. Okay, folks, so that's kind of the rundown for everything that's been going on Marvel news-wise. Aaron and I would love to hear what you folks think of, for example, Marvel Rising, the Secret Warrior, the TV movie that's going to be airing on Disney Channel, Disney XD. Likewise, would love to hear your thoughts about The Gifted and how they're incorporating, you know, whether or not they're in fact incorporating stuff from the Fox films. So feel free to reach out with, um, you know, your thoughts on that. And we'll be back shortly with another show. So on behalf of myself and the amazing Aaron Adams, thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon with another Marvelous Disney podcast. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.